It's okay that you don't hear or remember anything that I say. If you could just remember that, then you know that we have been blessed today. Thank you, Juan, and thanks, David. Our text this morning from 1 Samuel, even though it is from a long time ago, it asks us an important question for us today in this world. How do we live faithfully at the intersection between God and government? This is an election year, and as you've been paying attention just a little bit, you know that the hype is already there. And in many ways, politics is our religion, our national religion. And of course, any time you bow down and worship something other than the one true God, that is the sin of idolatry. And so 1 Samuel gives us some wisdom, and this wisdom helps us to figure out how to remain faithful to God and what we can honestly expect of political leaders today. I will provide a case study in just a minute, but in order to get there, it is helpful to have a little bit of background. So we'll talk about this figure, Saul, uh, Samuel, who anoints Saul as king. This is a period of transition, and prophet is, a, is the Samuel who uh, is God uses to choose the first two kings of Israel. So this is a picture of Samuel, and this is probably not what he looked like, but it is an artist representation of that. And you can see in some ways he looks like a king because he was a, like a political ruler for the people of Israel. In some ways he looks like a priest, so in many ways he was the, the high priest, so to speak, of the people of Israel. And what he's holding in his hand is a horn which is used to carry oil, and the oil is used to anoint kings. So Samuel, through God's grace, became the great leader of God's people. It even says that Samuel grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And that is just echoed in Luke 2, which is what the gospel writer says about Jesus much later. The problem with Samuel is that Samuel had a problem with his sons. Samuel's sons, who the people wanted to be the next leaders of the people of Israel, they were taking bribes, and as the Bible puts it, they were perverting justice. It doesn't explain what that is, but taking bribes is a pretty good start for perverting justice. God would not stand for the corrupt leadership of Samuel's sons. So enter in the text for today, the elders of Israel approach Samuel and demand a king. We need a plan of succession, they say. Your sons are not going to succeed you. We want a king to govern us, just like all the other nations have. Well, this is a threat, as you can imagine, to Samuel. Not only are the people rejecting his sons, the people are also rejecting Samuel's way of life, everything that he stood for. Leader, judge, prophet, priest, keeper of the covenant, everything that Samuel stood for, his way of life, his tradition, 
is being challenged. The people are proposing to take some of Samuel's power, the political and the civil parts, like running the government and being the military leader, they want to take those off his shoulders and place that onto the head of a king. And then what's left over, the prophet and the priestly functions, will be in another person altogether. And I hope you get to see how the pattern develops. For those of you who studied European history, you know that a civic king anointed by the religious leader repeats itself through most of history. The rulers of Europe were crowned by whom? The Pope for centuries and centuries. And in all of this, in this mix, is the burning question, now where do we see God? And how can we be faithful to God who, who we cannot see when we have to be loyal subjects to a political ruler who we can see and we have to pay taxes to. And it doesn't take long before we can draw some connections to our times today, when every year there seems to be a competition between the candidates for both political parties to declare themselves more Christian than the other candidates. And then you have faithful Christians in both political parties, or in case of independence, Christians of no political party who pick their candidates and everyone, no matter where you fall on the spectrum, everyone believes that the candidate that they are choosing best represents their view of God. Which brings us to the case study for today. Many of us will remember how our current president, President Obama, ran for office as president as a candidate for peace. And he even won the Nobel Peace Prize in the year 2009, which is ironic because at the time that he won the Nobel Peace Prize, he was the commander-in-chief of the U.S. military forces who were engaged in combat in at least two fronts, Iraq and Afghanistan. And he still provides over the government that has the largest military budget of any country in the world. And even recently it was disclosed in the New York Times that the president has authorized the compilation of a kill list and has authorized the use of drones to kill militants. And the definition that President Obama has adopted for what to how you define a militant is any male who was killed, whether they were a terrorist or a farmer. So the question that we have from the text thousands of years ago still asks us the question today, how do we live faithfully at the intersection between God and government? Well, we also believe as faithful people that God is still speaking and that the Bible offers us wisdom today. The Bible presents this transition from tribal Israel to the kingdom of Israel in an ambiguous fashion. There are parts of the Bible that are clearly pro-king. For example, the chapters that follow our reading for today 
present Saul, Israel's first king, in a very positive light. And yet, right alongside those pro-king passages in the Bible, there are also passages that clearly present kings in a negative fashion, and you heard some of that today. For example, the key verb in the text that John read of what a king does, take. Take your sons, take your daughters, take your crops, take your taxes, take your slaves, and take your livestock. So, in the midst of all these various voices, it seems that we have a God who is willing to compromise. The ideal situation is that there would be no king. In a perfect situation, it would just be God and us. We would be God's people and God would be our king. And that would be that. But the God portrayed in the Bible seems willing to admit that the perfect, the ideal situation doesn't exist, at least not in this world. And therefore, since the perfect is not an option, God seems willing from the view of the Bible to accommodate to us and to give us what we need so that we don't devolve into chaos, which is like reversing creation. So, could it be that God is much more pragmatic than we had originally thought? And if so, shouldn't that change the way that we approach the Bible? There are a multiplicity of voices within the Bible, and resolutions when they come are temporary and provisional. Because before you know it, the new conversation will begin, and God issues new speech and a new invitation and asks us to rethink what we thought that we knew so that what we know does not become an idol. So if God is willing to accept less than perfect, the Bible wisdom for us is so that we may perhaps also can be willing to accept less than ideal. It is very common for us to complain against the government, saying that the government is corrupt. In fact, many of the people running for office this year, as in years past, seem to, without any hint of irony, suggest that the government is bad and that they, like Superman, will be able to rush in and make it all better. But a faithful biblical response would be something that is much more nuanced. We might suggest that, of course, the government is corrupt. It is a human institution. What else would you expect? If you take sin seriously, then we would have to acknowledge that sin is everywhere, and so that you have to check your conservative and your liberal agendas very carefully, for nothing is pure. 
except for God. Remember from last week we sang, Holy, holy, holy. Though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinfulness thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee perfect in power, in love, and purity. But that doesn't mean that we can wash our hands of the whole deal and walk away. Because if you're only willing to be involved in perfect enterprises, life will be a series of long series of disappointments. So don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. The Bible is also very clear that faithful people have the responsibility to be in the mix and that we can be people of integrity, we can be people of witness, we have an important voice to bring to the table and that the faithful life is a public life. In fact, John Calvin, the most powerful religious leader in his adopted hometown of Geneva, said that the city magistrates were more important than he because he believed that God cares so deeply about clean running water, about pollution, and about the ability to work and to earn an honest living. So political leaders and governments, even yet today, have the responsibility to lead the people ethically and morally. And as long as leaders lead properly, then Christians can, in good conscience, support them. Yet God cares about perverted justice, whether they were Samuel's sons 3,000 years ago, or whether that perverted justice is happening now in our own governments, in our own militaries, in our own economies. So when leaders and governments, militaries and economies do not govern or lead with liberty and justice for all, then Christians can and should resist and demand that justice rain down like water. So I hope that you see that your faithfulness as a Christian is not tied to your loyalty to a certain political party. Rather than that, your faithfulness is linked to your obedience to God's values of justice and mercy because justice is owned by God alone not by Republicans Democrats libertarians or independents the cross of Jesus Christ stands high above the flag of every nation including our own and faithful citizens are ones who critically evaluate what is being done and how it is being done, because both matter. So I hope that you see, I hope this allows you to engage the Bible in a new and fresh way, to perhaps contemplate the possibility that a story told about something that happened 3,000 years ago 
applies to what we live out today. And the message is something like this. It's not ideal that you have to have a king or a prime minister or a president, whatever you want to call it. But if you must have a king, be solemnly warned, the Bible says. It's never going to be the way that you want it to be. Government can be a force for justice, and despite the rhetoric of the past 30 years, it can accomplish great things for the benefit of the common good. Yet, it also can be a force for evil and perpetuate some of the worst atrocities imaginable, and it will do it in your name, and it will take your tax dollars to do it with, and it will take your sons and your daughters and your brothers and your sisters and your parents and use your money to perpetuate those atrocities. So, be careful not to worship the government. Politics is not to be your religion, God says. And whether you think that your government is the worst, or if you think that your nation is the best, only God is the proper king. Only God is holy and merciful and just. Everything else is going to be less than ideal.